Hey, Brent, I'm really looking to lose my mind. What's wrong? I want to lose my mind, and I need <laughs> I need something in my hand to put in my mouth. Can you help uh, me? Have you thought about <laughs> drinking can? That's with oh, two ends. Can haven't. with two ends. Tell the me more. incredibly delicious uh, single serving of two, I believe, two megagrams of THC. Wow. Wow. It's like it's just like a weed soda, but so mild. Just a great way to kind of unwind at the end of the day or in the middle of the day or at the beginning of the day. I think you mean cannabis-infused social tonic. (laughs) That's exactly what I mean. Yes, yes. Where where can people find it, Elliot? Oh, they can find it at drinkcan.com and they can use the promo code WORSE uh, for a special promo. Drinkcan.com with two N's. I believe it's 20. 20% 20% off? Maybe. I think it's 25% off. You get money off. Go to drinkcan.com with two ends, It's people. so it's gonna, good. It's delicious. It's so good. Oh, drinkcan.com. Oh, calorie. I mean, have I said that enough? It's low calorie, guys. Mm-hmm. Get fucked up without the calories. That's what matters. Feel skinny doing it. you're making it worse i'm elliot glazer i'm brent sullivan and i'm h allen scott we're here we're queer textual healing so this week oreo and potato head and i'm keeping out the gender on purpose said trans rights so hasbro (laughs) announced (laughs) hasbro announced there was a new line simply titled potato head that would allow kids to create customizable potato head families with parts that would allow children to craft same-sex pairings and gender neutral characters um and they did so by um quietly dropping the mister from the brand name and logo to promote gender equality mm-hmm. and at the same time oreo <laughs> oreo's official twitter account tweeted just trans people exist and they did that before the congress passed the equality act mm-hmm. but there was no further clarification there was no context and then even after that nilla wafers responded by saying trans people not only exist but are valued and loved by nilla wafers <laughs> <laughs> i do by the way i happen to love nilla i wafers. i do love too they're so, so delicious wow i did not good. know that about all of us i, I love, love them. them because it's kind of a deep cut cookie you it is. around it is and look i'm not saying i would be thrilled if dessert was purely nilla wafers uh-huh. but like Hello, I, banana I, I, pudding. Imagine, imagine making like a like a pie crust out of Nilla wafers. Banana, oh my banana god! Pudding. No, oh, banana pudding. But banana but banana, but yeah. but if you take an ice cream cone and you drizzle either chocolate or caramel sauce on it, and then you crush yeah, up vanilla yeah. wafers Absolutely. on top. Oh my god! It's an mm. orgasm. It's an well, orgasm. It's, I think it's oh, funny because Oreos and Nilla wafers are both delicious, but in very different ways. And yeah. the Nilla wafer works so well when it's sort of moisturized, like with yes. a tea. Yeah, it um, needs some sort of moist. <laughs> it needs a moisture agent. You're right. In order it. to be Mo- so wait, so you dip them in a tea, or you just eat them, eat them, and then drink tea? No, <laughs> I like to melt the cookie sure. in my mouth. <laughs> sure. All right. He has his Jessica of- Fletcher costume on as he does it. <laughs> All of that to say that, yeah. um, you know, LGBTQ advocates were basically like, "What?" Because, I mean, Mister, Mister, Mrs. or non-gendered. 
potato head is for me, I, th I think an interesting, you know, um, um, advancement to make, but the <laughs> cookies tweeting about trans rights was so funny. And Patty Harrison, who's been on the podcast, a hilarious, yeah, great episode. Go listen trans, to she, she then pulled a Jabuki and re like used, her, you know, she had the same Twitter handle, but changed her Twitter, Twitter handle name to look like she was running the Nilla wafers account yeah. and to like fuck with everybody. And so she, as quote unquote, Nilla wafers wrote, we are pansexual to clarify the, we, the brand Nilla wafers are pansexual. <laughs> <laughs> she then pretended to be take, she pretended to be Sia and then said, I'm Sia. And there are only two genders. And then she was of course <laughs> was uh, suspended by Twitter. But all that to say that, you know, it's just, it's so funny to see where we are. But yeah, yeah, talk about, yeah. I mean, this was, this was funny because like, to me, I heard, I was reading this article. It's, you know, a great example of like, to me, seemingly like not a profoundly important step, but I would imagine a symbolic one to some people. So I was like, all right, that makes sense. I, and then to hear that there was blowback online seemed kind of ridiculous. Th that is, I'm talking about the potato head thing. Yeah. It seemed okay, kind yeah. of silly. And by the way, I, I want to stress, as I recall from the article, advocacy groups were not mad it was like random twitter yeah yeah yes, advocates yes. were the ones who were for some they reason with, with potato head, but with oreo advocacy groups were mad oh see because, i didn't think they were mad i thought it was just like what like what are you doing we well no there's it's almost yeah. two different conversations that were happening yeah so sorry. uh the with with oreo it was well put your money where your mouth is pun intended but like put your put your money where your mouth is and and actually you know give corporate money to lgbtqia plus causes and like support the community more with just than a tweet that says you like trans oh people. hasbro did that and so well no no that's what pete that's what the advocate groups oh, were right. saying was like don't just tweet it like take action with it mm -hmm. like have inclusive practices within your company that ensures that people can get you know, trans uh, inclusive healthcare and you know what I mean? Like that you support your workers and all those things. So that was one conversation that was happening with Mr. Potato Head. It was Brent is right. A largely Twitter sort of backlash against a company just trying to be more inclusive in a space that is very, very divided by gender to a point of it is one of, I think, probably, I, I, I shouldn't say that because I don't know if it is, but like, it's it's a very divided uh, line between what is supposed to be, quote unquote, girl toys and mm -hmm. what is, quote unquote, male toys. And and you walk through the aisles of Target and you see it. It's, if a boy wants that to go down true. the Barbie aisle, it's a weird, I mean, it's not weird to me, but it is seen by some people as a very strange well, thing. It's... And the stores don't do anything to integrate these two it identities crazy. so that yeah. it's it wild i will say it is weird you spend too much time in the barbie aisle Alan. <laughs> when you well you should target. see we have walls of dolls here that are just like mini sadies everywhere <laughs> and but i bought i bought toys for like friends and friends for friends kids and stuff and it is wild to go to a place like target and see such a disparate there's such a it's there's so, yeah. it's such two different lanes that it's well, so then, really like one aisle is pink and one aisle is yeah. blue and so then just oh, imagine, wow. I mean, Mr. Potato Head is, I think, probably a less polarizing toy than yeah. other toys. But if like for me, when I was a kid, I wanted to play with Barbies, but it was such a strange request or and even getting access to a Barbie or just to a girl that had Barbies that I could then play with. It was like this weird navigation that I had to do. And, and I think kids, 
I think I think things are changing today and there are toy lines that are very inclusive and that are doing things to sort of allow you to create your own gender of a toy and do your own thing and put your own clothes on it and all those things, which is great. There's great companies that are doing that. But I think it's kind of great that, you know, what, what Potato Head is doing. It's, it's I think kind so of, too. I went out and bought a Potato Head so, so that I could take the Mr. and the Mrs., the old Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head and fuck them up and give the Mr. a purse. Mm. And I gave the Mrs. some lips, uh, some some boots, you know, and a mustache. Mm. Like, yeah, it's fun. It's, How much are Potato Heads these days? This one that I got was, um because I'm a Disney freak, we talked about that in the last episode. Mm. So I got the Pixar Potato Head. Okay. And I got, it, this was $30 for both of them. Uh, Oh, for both. That's not, yeah. that's, actually, that's pretty cheap. Yeah. yeah, we've talked about this before, but I always wanted that at home ice 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 oh cream my making God. kit. Oh, yeah. Oh, and God. for some reason, I just felt weird because it was always made in pink. It was manufactured in like the plastic yeah. <laughs> of the toy was manufactured in pink. And I was like, I can't buy it. Mm. I can't buy it. And I, I just watched a video recently of them, of someone on YouTube making ice cream with, and I do think they come in gender neutral colors now, purple. Which is great. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, it seems like sensical of, I, uh, you know, I think in that article, there, of course, were people who literally were tweeting like, how dare you yeah. imply that, because apparently the implication is that there, uh, there aren't genders and that some, some, you know, that, 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 uh, well, I a potato some, doesn't have a gender. <laughs> it's all, it's all just so ridiculous. Yeah. But I, I don't know. It's just, you know, I think that's, it's a great example of what happens when, you know, you give everyone a platform. <laughs> yeah. Well, no and also how many right, kids no just because they wanted to like, I mean, they wanted to put the the Mrs. Potato Head eyes on the Mr. Potato right. Head with the boots. I mean, I'm that kid. I'm that kid who just wanted to like see Mr. Potato Head with a purse. And I thought it was fun. And also who cares? Like truly, who cares? Like, yeah, that there. I, I mean, honestly, like who the fuck cares? Let let your kid do whatever they want with Mr. P- Mr. Mrs. Non-Potato Head. Like mm-hmm. that's the yeah. thing. That's the joy of it. Like let them do whatever they want. Well, with that's it. the ultimate thing. Like let yeah. your kid choose the toy they want to play right. with, not the toy you want them to play with. Don't just say yeah. that they can't go down and they can't get the LOL OMG doll just because the boy wants it or the girl wants the G.I. Joe or whatever mm-hmm. the fuck boy toys I, are. I don't understand boy toys. Yeah, mm. I, I will say that like between Oreo, Nilla Wafers, Potato Head, and then this week with like Dr. Seuss books getting oh Dr. Seuss uh, that's right canceled yeah. for being racist. It's like I have to honestly a handful admit, of a handful of Dr. Seuss books. Yeah. yeah, a handful of them. I have to say that this feels like Bush era um, novelties, and I'm kind well, of here for it. <laughs> I, well, I also have to clarify just a little bit. It's not Dr. Seuss books being canceled. It's the company that produces the Dr. Seuss mm. books that are recognizing that a couple of their books do right. have very clear racist imagery oh, yeah, and yeah. language. And the company is quote unquote canceling itself by pulling right. these books saying, yeah, right. we need to evolve. We're taking these out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I mm-hmm. kind of love it. I'm like, you know, post-Trump world, I'm like, give me this like what did they used to call it? The culture wars. Yeah. Like, give me these culture wars moments where I can just be like, sure, sure, Oreo. Yeah, 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 potato head. (laughs) (laughs) It's refreshing to me. Not even joking. We're here with Freddie McConnell, uh, who is an, are you a video, still a video multimedia journalist? Uh, I'm more of a writer these days, but that's probably more COVID related than anything. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Got it. Well, Sometimes uh, video. You're the subject of a documentary uh, called Seahorse um, that documented your journey um, of 
being a trans man who carried your own child, uh, which was super fascinating. I, I, I'd read about it and uh, uh, yeah, we just wanted to like have you on and, and your, your, your journey is obviously so interesting because it's still, I think, obviously on the more unusual side of things, but the way you talk about it and specifically in the documentary, it's so, uh, it's so relate, relatable and, and normal. And, and uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, as you've said in an article to you, you seem you're more of a private, quiet person, but you felt like a need to document this journey um, because it was obviously such a, a big deal. And so on the rare side to see. So um, now you are the, the healthy father, the father of a healthy baby boy. Mm-hmm. Well, he's actually like, a little kid he's he yeah. turned three in january oh my wow. god oh yeah we filmed in we filmed from like 2016 to 2018 i suppose because he was born at the start of 2018 so yeah it feels like a long time ago yeah, yeah. well what 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 drove you i mean i don't want to put words in your mouth so what drove you to um tell the story and do so in a documentary um i came at it i mean and this is like emblematic of my life in general I feel I'm a journalist and a trans person and sometimes I'm both at the same time sometimes I'm meant to be only one or the other and um, sometimes I have to remember that someone is is expecting to be one thing and not the other and so it's kind of an odd code switchy kind of existence Mm -hmm. especially in these times when trans people's existence is so um, like up for debate and and sort of contentious Um, so but that's really what informed my desire to document the process was like, well, A, I'm a trans person. I'm a trans man who was told that taking testosterone would make me infertile. I was basically given a piece of paper and asked to sign it to say that I agreed to become sterile um, in order to access medical transition. And then it took me a couple of years to figure out that that was um, wrong, shall we say, charitably, Mm -hmm. or maybe a lie, (laughs) depending on your perspective. and so I was just very aware that a lot of people in my community still even today um, sort of exist under that misapprehension. And, and also I'd met older trans men who'd had who'd um, gone past the age where they would be able to have their own kids who might have done that had they known that they could or even people who have had hysterectomies because they thought that their reproductive health was like a thing of the past and mm-hmm. all these stories mm-hmm. are just absolutely heartbreaking and, and kind of like human rights violations in and of themselves so i just knew that information needed to be more out there um i i chanced upon a youtube video with a pregnant trans guy and that's what did it for me and like i just didn't want it to be like a question of luck for people so, yeah. so let, me ask, forward. let me ask you real mm. quick like do you think it's like is it just sort of a an, a bizarre urban legend that lives within the medical community or do you think it's a little bit no, more nefarious than that it's so hard to know right like this is a question i think about a lot and i get asked a lot and honestly the answer is i don't know um mm-hmm. i think um i think that there is more medical uh, evidence and research into um the effect of feminizing hormones on like sperm production mm-hmm. and there is there is evidence to show that it has an effect so if a trans woman is medically transitioning, then she has a shorter window of time or she has a sort of limited window of time in order to either preserve her fertility or have kids Mm -hmm. um, there and then. And I think that information was just mapped onto trans men to a large extent Mm -hmm. without any further interrogation, which is this weird inverse of like um, sexist medical 
practices anyway, right? Where like yeah. people with ovaries tend not to be <laughs> given as much uh, thought and attention right. or research. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So there's that. And then, but then there is also, especially in the UK, I'm not sure about the US so much, but NHS is the, the national health service we have is fantastic, but it's also because it's national health service, it's quite paternalistic and it's very gatekeepery. And yeah. so there is this expectation as a, as a trans person that you're going to follow one path of transition. It's going to be one directional. It all looks the same for everyone. And if you want to be quote a man, like a real man, then you're not going to want to have kids anyway. So why even worry about it? You know, like you're never going to go off tea. Tea is what like temporarily pauses your ability to have a kid. Although <laughs> lots of trans men do you get pregnant by accident when they're on tea, like either because their levels are a bit low or they missed a shot or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just it's just something that we're not told or given any good information about. It's just something where it's assumed that we don't want that information. Yeah. yeah. Also, well, I mean, not not to stereotype, but as a British person, when I hear you say tea, I don't instinctively think of testosterone. I'm thinking <laughs> of, sure, thinking of the beverage, and so I'm glad tea you clarified time. that. Yes. I do want to ask you because, like, here in the U.S., we had. I mean, well, I have to say first, when I first heard your name, I I literally yelled out in like a Scottish accent, Freddie McConnell. Like, I don't know why. <laughs> instinctively i had to do that and i apologize i thank god you didn't hear it um but thank god well he does now but in the u.s here we had i don't know elliot you and i are oprah fans we're like i don't know 20 years ago now but there was the sort of big first first case that we that in the u.s that became huge was this man on oprah who oprah made this big deal about this man had a baby and it I remember even Tabloid thinking at the fodder. time, yeah, I remember thinking at the time this, and I was younger and I didn't even quite understand trans issues and trans identity and gender. I didn't understand any of that, but I remember thinking, well, this is just a person who happens to have the equipment to be able to have a child. So it's not, it, sure, he's a man, but it's, it felt really sensationalized. And very, I, very much I, so. I wonder if, are you experiencing that even now with even promoting your film, the sort of the journalists or the articles or people wanting to sensationalize your experience with these headlines of this man had a baby and sort of capitalize off the clickbait of that. And how are you handling that? Well, I mean, that comes to the second motivation that I had for making the film, which was as a journalist, I'd obviously seen that kind of reporting. Um, I think that Thomas Beatty, I think is the chap that you're referring to. Um, I actually was privileged enough to meet him last year, or maybe to 2019 now. Um, and it was, was really heartbreaking to hear about his experience with sharing his story, how he didn't choose to do that. He actually got like doorstepped by reporters and then uh, someone had sort of leaked his story. And um, so he then tried to do damage control by talking to LGBT outlets. But by that point, it had sort of gone internationally viral even before social media existed. Mm-hmm. It must have been absolutely terrifying. And he went to ground and basically when I met him in 2019, it was at an academic conference and it was the first time he'd ever met another man who'd had a kid, like oh, wow, another trans wow, man. Wow. Like, so oh my God. It was just like, yeah, like that's the, the, the way that it was all done had just horrible repercussions for him personally, as well as yeah, sensationalizing the whole community. Absolutely. I wanted to show that you can tell a story like mine without it being sensationalized. And actually mm-hmm. it's a way to create empathy um, I wanted people to feel like they could spend an hour and a half in my company, like in my family's company. I think that is often the key to unlocking a lot of the fear and um, mystery that exists around trans people is like literally just not getting to spend time with us. Right. I mean, 
and 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 yeah so i i put the team I, I kind of tried to find filmmakers to work with i didn't make the film myself but i wanted to find a director to work with and a producer and um it was my longtime friends production company and so i sort of wanted to maybe show a kind of best practice of like this is how you can tell our stories and it makes the world better for trans people not worse mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, from, i, mean, I the, just yeah the documentary is is you know when you compare it to thomas's story it's like the documentary and your story are remarkably uh uh relatable and normal normalizing i guess like it you almost you almost forget that that like your trans identity is part of it at some points because it's just you're just watching the journey of a pregnancy um and and i mean you just you really uh you know i think you really accomplished that goal because it's just a it's also the the quietness of your life your personality your family it it keeps it from feeling like um like trauma porn, you know, it never, it never, it just never, it feels completely the opposite of sensationalized. And, uh, and also the relationship you have with your mom is so um, astonishing to watch. She is so, there's no dead naming. Like it's just, it's just, it just is what it is. You know, it just, the story just is so smooth and, and understandable, but we still see these moments of frustration. Um, and, And can you talk a little bit more about that? Like the moments where, I mean, you know, you say in the movie that like, you felt like a fucking alien because you, mm. all of a sudden, you know, your your hips are growing wider again and your voice mm. is getting, I mean, it must, it must have felt um, like just so strange to have to waffle back and forth between the two genders, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, certainly going back and forth in, in the sense of how I was being perceived and treated sometimes, although I think I got off really lightly, actually, having said that, because I had an amazing community midwife that's how it works here you have this one midwife who sort of looks after your whole pregnancy so I never really had to go to hospitals or doctor's offices um it's not it's not overly medicalized that whole experience here or you can choose for it not to be which I did uh, sort of my midwife was an old family friend she's like really cool I kind of live in a bit of a bohemian town so like Mm -hmm. I knew I wasn't going to be harassed uh, it was so communal you had such a tight community of, of family and friends that were just like all on board it seemed like um yeah i mean <laughs> i think that that is in a way part of um you know genie the director genie finley she found the way to tell the story that she wanted to tell as, a, as an artist and a filmmaker and that was kind of one of the reasons i wanted to work with her because she had such a strong creative vision i knew that she would never lack the confidence to just tell the story that as she saw it and um there were elements that you know, there are family, I have family members who aren't so supportive, but we're all English. So it's really hard to kind of capture that on film because that's just not how we process stuff. (laughs) Yeah. We're just really polite. So, so there there were challenges narratively in that sense. And, and also um, what you were talking about there, you know, the the struggle, my struggle um, was actually much harder than I expected to portray. And because it was just inside me. And actually, um, I am a journalist, but I'm not very good at being really vulnerable and sharing and mm-hmm. describing my feelings and all that sort of stuff. So there were times where I just knew that Jeannie needed more from me and I couldn't give it and I couldn't put mm. into words what I was going through. And there was no commonly held language for this stuff, right? Like even within the trans community, um, it's a very small number of people who go through pregnancy and actually lots of the people that go through pregnancy really love it. So I don't think that's necessarily mm-hmm. a trans experience. 
I mean, lots of the trans men that I've spoken to find it a really empowering experience. I just really, really struggle, not so much with being pregnant, but with being off testosterone and this sense of like, I don't know what the end point of this is. Have I just like complete, can I swear? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I yeah please. Okay. Have I completely fucked Safe up fuck, my transition? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, am I, have I just fucked everything by doing this? Because obviously before you have your kid, you don't know, you, there's no love. There's no like, how am I going to love this creature that I'm growing inside me? I'm just like, yeah, like I said, yeah. a fucking alien. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it all ends. You have your beautiful baby. It's wonderful. I was very lucky that it all went very smoothly. The birth itself was an incredible experience, like just a pinnacle of human existence, I, I think, <laughs> arguably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went back on tea and within six months to a year, it was like it never happened. And I, and mm-hmm. I just had my beautiful little family. So, you know. But like, yeah, it was hard to um, verbalize that on film <laughs> when it was all on me. Yeah. Wait, let, let me ask you, was there a, a concern for a while that that in going off testosterone uh, that you wouldn't be able to to do that again? Like, I guess that that surprised me a little bit to hear you say that that. Yeah. Is that a concern? Um, it was mostly just anxiety. It wasn't grounded or yeah, it wasn't like it. um got a real it. concern yeah my, my, i had a very supportive endocrinologist who who knew that you know i would just want to get back on t asap but it was more just like looking at myself change and realizing how far i'd come and knowing how comfortable i could be you know knowing what tra- transition had given me and then just being like i voluntarily gave that up what i'm just i'm bonkers yeah <laughs> what i i want to ask so i mean one of the things in the u.s and i'm sure in the uk too that always sort of makes me angry is the access to parenthood that a lot of LGBTQIA plus people have. And, you know, the inherent privilege that a lot of white LGBTQ or don't people have. or don't have, excuse me. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> and that, and, and a lot of sort of lack of access that queer people of color have to having children in any other way outside of sometimes a traumatic way. And it's, it's, it is, what is it like in the UK for a queer person to, receive the access to services in order to have a child, meaning either through, you know, some, uh, what is it, what is it called? Invert, what, insemination? Uh, in vitro fertilization. Yeah, Thank like, you. like is, treatment, yeah. Is there, is there, are there other options that, and do they have access to them in the UK? Is it, here it's all by state by state and it's sometimes a struggle. Okay, so yeah, um, fertility treatment is one of the areas of healthcare in the UK that isn't exclusively covered by the NHS. In fact, it's mostly private. Mm. So most people accessing IVF or IUI, which is a slight, you know, fertility treatment light kind of thing, will be paying out of pocket. Um, the NHS does cover it, but the guidelines, I mean, they don't deliberately discriminate against LGBT people, but for example, in most places in the UK, if you happen to require donor sperm in your fertility treatment, then you are disqualified from NHS funding. And that just so happens to affect a hugely disproportionate number of queer people who require donor sperm, be they trans, be they lesbian couples. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there are sort of passive forms of discrimination and it is much harder for queer people and certainly queer people of colour. We also have Anonymous sperm donation in the UK was banned in 2005. It's now, it it has to be open ID, which means that people can find out their donors when they turn 18. That massively decreased the numbers of donors that were available. And that has also sort of outsizely 
affected um, donors of color. Like, so mm-hmm. uh, I had a friend who was trying to find a donor um, of um, Caribbean descent and they had to go abroad um, in order to do that. We also don't have any regulation of surrogacy over here. So that hugely affects um, queer people, obviously, um, because it's a risk. It's a personal risk to undertake surrogacy. So, yeah, there's like multiple. I mean, I, I had family support in terms of covering the cost of my fertility treatment. Luckily, I didn't have any fertility issues beyond just needing donor sperm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't that expensive. But certainly there is a big queer sort of online community of people sharing information about how to do this at home. There's um, sort of known and informal sperm donation that happens through Facebook groups, um, which I'm sure isn't just a UK thing, but definitely a a thing here. Um, And certainly I felt, I mean, I I could go into a fertility clinic and just be like, I'm going to pay for my treatment. I do not expect to be treated badly. And I wasn't, but that Mm -hmm. massively, I think relies on how I speak, how I look, the fact that I know how to move through the world and, and, and sort of appear and be read as a, as a, as a dude. Um, and that commands respect and it, that shouldn't be the way it is. And I, and I was just constantly aware of that privilege in this, in this process. I was, I was going to ask one of my other questions was going to be like, what was your experience like with the medical community? Like, did you, did you sort of come across resistance along the way? Or, I mean, you said you're sort of from a hippie town, so maybe that mm-hmm. also helps contribute to a, a sense of open-mindedness, but what was that like? So, yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, yeah, I was I was conscious of trying to limit my exposure to like possible conflict um, because the thought of it scared me. So I, you know, I requested this midwife that I knew would be cool mm-hmm. and she immediately offered to come to my house for all our appointments, which was amazing. And then she even like, she never treated a trans guy before. I'm not even sure if she'd treated queer people before. She's just a good person. Like it doesn't require anything particularly special or magic. You just have to be a, a sort of compassionate, thoughtful person. So what she would do is like, every time I needed a scan, she put the call out. She tried to find me a queer sonographer <laughs> uh-huh. and she oh. succeeded like straight away, which is amazing. This person came forward in a nearby town at a small hospital. I was like, yeah, I'll do his scans. Like, and you can always come to me and that's, that's awesome. And, I'll never forget that person. They were amazing. They had like a Star Wars lanyard. And I was just like, immediately felt <laughs> That's very cute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then, then there was one time during my whole pregnancy where that safety net of my midwife, Joe just fell away. And I had to go to a hospital, the, another hospital for a last minute sort of late stage growth scan just to check the size of the baby. And um, no one could come with me and I, and it wasn't a familiar setting and immediately it all just went to shit. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I was, um, I confused the receptionist. Um, they handed me this sort of laminated card that said ultrasound on, which they would give to people who had ultra, who needed ultrasounds, obviously, but it immediately kind of, it like sort of put a siren on my head effectively that like yeah. something weird was going on. I was in this crowded mm-hmm. waiting room and a nurse came up to me and I stood up to meet her cause I could see she was coming towards me and I wanted to like avoid any conflict again. I was like, do you want me to come with you? And she just said very loudly, no, I want to know why you're holding that card. <laughs> and, um, and it was oh, like definitely top five worst experiences of my life. And I yeah. just wanted to run and hide. And I didn't because I had to get scanned because obviously there might have been a problem mm-hmm. with the baby. And it was just, yeah, it was just terrible. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> that was my only negative experience. But it was just quite shocking to see how quickly it, it did go badly as soon as like, I wasn't in a space where people knew to maybe expect yeah. a pregnant trans man. That's, that's an experience yeah. that I think a lot of queer people can relate to and isn't talked about a lot in the queer spaces is the access to 
affirming and inclusive healthcare so that oftentimes queer people don't necessarily seek out services because they don't have either the financial means to seek access to inclusive healthcare or they're just afraid of the reactions that they'll get for whatever reason they're going in, even if it's just like a dental appointment. The yes. the fear of it's discrimination. So it's, we really mm-hmm. take it for granted. It's yes, something it's so that needs to, to, to be talked granted. about more. 100%. I had a, I had a doctor in Chelsea once. <laughs> Chelsea, Chelsea, New York, uh, you know, gay mecca of the world. And I, I went in to get a physical and he said to me at one point, he said, shouldn't you be more built? <laughs> the gay man, shouldn't you be more built? <laughs> I was like, all right. Wow. Very cool. Um, um, so also in the movie, obviously your, your mom is just so phenomenal but initially it was pretty difficult with your father has he come around i hate saying come around but has that relationship warmed and has how, how has that worked out with with the baby well um the baby is the key thing right like as soon as there's a baby in the room and what's his name what's the baby's name uh i actually don't share his name publicly uh, he goes oh, by he okay. goes by sj on my um instagram account um Got it. yeah so so once sj was here um, I mean, that just, I wouldn't say it didn't fix anything between me and my dad, but it was a great distraction. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. <It> equalizer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, as soon as there's a baby and often people will say that there's that sort of cliche about, you know, people are better, gra- better grandparents than they are parents and all this sort of thing, you know, and, and we, we live in, again, this small town, my dad lives here. Um, we see him regularly. Uh, my kid loves him um so yeah we we see each other and uh we don't you know and i think i've the experience of going through that taught me to have stronger boundaries and to hold them and um i might be doing that in a way that other people aren't aware of it definitely feels better for me so so things are fine like they're probably as good as they're gonna get i want to go to this small i'm imagining this like small (laughs) british town of people just walking down the street singing don french comes up and offers you matcha tea like i mean stone buildings stone (laughs) i have no idea how accurate that is (laughs) um if you yeah like my friends there's lots of older gay men older like cis gay men that live here and have lived here for generations it's it's like i don't know if you've heard of brighton yeah on the south coast right so deal where i live is a lot lot smaller than brighton it's probably like a quarter of the size or less um but it had a similarly queer history it's it's been this kind of sanctuary it's a naval town lots of prostitution lots of like uh people who were escaping something lots of Outlaws. Outlaws. I was going to make a joke. <laughs> Elliot is actually zooming from the plane. He's on the plane. <laughs> nope. I I beat Brent to the punch. I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. Was I do coming. love that part of that, that part of England, like the whole Brighton area. It's just it's it's. I performed there once. It's such a great area. I mean, we're like much further east, so we're like on the sort of closest bit to France that you can mm-hmm. get. Um, but it is. Yeah, I remember my some friends I met this gay couple uh, moved down here without knowing about the town's gay history. And one of them was looking out of his window on like the first week they were living down here at their right on the seafront. So they got a bit of money. Um, and he sort of said, turned his part and said, Colin, there's lots of men with small dogs on the seafront. And, and that's when the penny dropped <laughs> that they'd moved to this. Your dog is so cute, by the way. <laughs> yeah. That's what she, so that's a bit of a, <laughs> he's my parents. Oh dog. no. No, he's fine. Oh, okay. He's totally fine. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
he was rehomed <laughs> because oh, oh no. he's not great with kids. And oh, me and my no. sister started oh, yeah. having right. tons of kids. So he's now very happily living with some friends of my parents. But yeah, uh, yeah. he's okay. a bit of a scene stealer. Oh, so can, yeah. can, can I ask one more question? Do you know how many um, trans individuals have given birth? Like, are, are we talking like in the hundreds, in the thousands, uh, even more? Like, do you know? I don't know. I don't know because no one has ever collected that data and maybe they, hopefully they will in the not too distant future. Um, I, I sort of like to think um, that based on my exposure to this stuff online and like, so for instance, like there's loads of secret Facebook groups that are for birthing trans people, like Mm non-binary trans men generally. Um, So the biggest one of those has like almost 7,000 members and that includes but that includes birth workers and midwives and that kind of thing. But if you imagine that like, that's the people who have found that secret group Mm -hmm. um, and then extrapolate that across the world. I I like to think that there might be like low thousands. There's definitely hundreds, definitely hundreds. Um, And that includes people who transition uh, and then have babies later, like five years, 10 years, 15 years later, they come off tea and have babies. It includes people who have babies before they transition and, and all sorts. And obviously trans people who don't necessarily ever medically transition. There is one statistic, Australia, for some weird reason, um, it's not like an inclusive reason. It's not an LGBT for any reason. It's just a right. quirk of their statistics where they record gender and sex for every single service, every single bit of the health service. So they record that for pregnancy care. And that meant that, like, in, I think it was 2012, the Australian Health Service recorded that um, 257 men had given birth or something like that. So that's one year in Australia. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's, yeah. kind of, again, that wow. maybe if you extrapolate out from that, I don't know. But yeah. So, yeah, there's tons of us. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Australia is well, like a fraction uh, size of the states, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, also, I just have one question. Have you seen the movie Junior? <laughs> Oh my I god, to, yeah. don't. <laughs> <laughs> I have when, when I saw when I saw that documentary, I'm like, God, that must have been like that must be so annoying. Just that just be so annoying. <laughs> I would assume it would just be like, what? Wait, that's annoying mm. now. Maybe. I suppose like it's one of those things where like people are like, is drag offensive? And then you can be like, well, no. As in, is it offensive to trans women? And you could be like, well, no, because those people aren't trans women. So, like, I'm not sure I would find Junior offensive because I'm like, well, no, he's not a trans man. So, like, I yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of... It's yeah, not... it's just so stupid. It's just so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so not, like, stupid, rushing out to I watch it anytime. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Poster, it's just a poster in my head of, like, Danny DeVito. I, I do think, I mean, going back to the point earlier about the way that Thomas Beatty's story was reported, right? Like, I absolutely take your point yeah. about... I saw those magazine covers in the UK. We have these like trashy magazines that are just the most sensational thing. And I remember, I mean, that was like before I came out, before I even heard the word trans for the first time. And certainly the word trans was never used in relation to his story. Right. And I did not understand that story. I thought that that was like a science story. I thought something special mm-hmm. had been done to him to make it so that he could have a baby. And it was only years later that I like understood that as my experience you know it was just mind-blowing so um yeah i, I think yeah, that's absolutely right it's, it's sort of reported as if like a man had a baby how did it happen yeah, it very whereas now yeah. we know that it's oh it's because he's trans like it's not a big deal mm-hmm. like, yeah 
Well, that. your story, I mean, really encapsulates that. So I, I really recommend everybody go see Seahorse. I think it's available probably anywhere you can find a doc. You can find video on demand. Yeah, I think Vimeo is the main place. But um, oh, there you go. But yeah, you can you can buy or rent it at the moment. Well, well, thanks so much, Freddie. It was such you, a Fred. great great. Yeah, uh, thank you so much. You're welcome. Can I quickly plug my podcast? Um, of course. So I made a podcast for the BBC last year called Pride and Joy, which is about how queers have kids. And um, at the moment, it's only one season, but it's about how all sorts of queer people and couples and groups um, have babies. So, yeah, check that out. Great. Great. Check that out. Well, thanks a lot, Freddie. No worries. Thank you. And another thing. So let's talk for a minute about COVID fatigue. How are you guys feeling? Let's, let's Let's get everyone's temperature check on how you're feeling at this point, perhaps with... Uh, more, more, more so than in the last six, eight months, a light at the end of the tunnel, but how are you, how do you feel? Alan, you go ahead. I, I don't necessarily, I mean, I have COVID fatigue for sure. I want to get back to doing things like really, really badly. And I want to go see family. Like that's the biggest thing. I haven't seen my family in over a year. So like, that's a huge thing, but it's less COVID fatigue and it's more vaccine outrage that I have at this moment. Like, that's what I'm feeling You're because I see- You're anti-vaccine, you've always yeah, been I'm, I'm, right? Yes, right. I have been. I've been a big anti-vaxxer, which is why I have my Wendy Williams cup, who she's also anti-vaccine, <sighs> anti-vaccine, which is insane mm. to me. Mm. No, I, um, I do think that the, I mean, we texted about it this week, but like the access to the vaccine is bringing out the worst in some people. Oh and God, there are some yeah. crazy cases like the porn star. What's his name? Caddox? What's his... <laughs> it's like Cade Maddox. He, yeah, Cade he, Maddox. He, he signed he got... up to be an Uber Lyft or an Uber he Eats. He signed up to be to, to deliver for Uber Eats, which he never actually planned on doing. But yeah. in doing so, it means you qualify as a food service worker. In California. California. In California. So he signed yeah, so up for it. He got the, yeah. Yeah. Then he was he able to get the got, vaccine. Able to get the vaccine, filmed it, had a friend film him filming himself get it. Yeah. My yeah. favorite, most telling moment is that the nurse who's in a hazmat suit, he goes, I need to, we, like, I need to film this with you. And then he films it. Doesn't include her at all, obviously. He just wants a photo yeah. of himself. And she goes, Stop flexing. Oh, yeah. no. Don't yeah. flex. Yeah. <laughs> no. But she's, she's talking about I his didn't arm. Watch it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Of course, she's talking about his arm. Oh yeah. my god! But that it's is... also it also sounds met. It also so sounds literal. Pathetic. Like yeah. stop flexing, bro. But she's he literally goes, "I want to take a picture with you," and she she's like, "I'm in a hest. What? Oh, I'm yeah. just. It's a drive up. God. It's a drive up. Uh, 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 vaccination. That is but it's yeah. so. Complex. And I'm seeing that. I mean, I texted yeah. you guys this. Would you guys seem surprised by? Which surprised me because I guess you guys aren't seeing it. But like, I'm seeing that with some friends. I'm seeing some friends. And may, I mean, maybe it's just judgment on my end, but I'm seeing some friends get the vaccine and I'm like, I know you're not eligible yet. Like other I know for have, a fact ever since that you're- we spoke about it, other people said the same thing to me. And I naively was like, I can't believe that I know people who are ch- cheating. I, I can't believe yeah. that. And it's, I mean, it's bringing out like the, the Jewy sort of like school follow the rules kid in me being like, listen, bitches, I- I have a compromised immune system and I am waiting my turn. Not that I'm a martyr, but I'm waiting my fucking turn for March 15th here in Los Angeles where I can get it. And it's like, it's just wait your turn. Like why, why be so the arrogance behind it? I've also, I've also definitely been waiting for, so obviously I think at the current moment I was checked on the times we have something like 20% 
roughly, I think a little under 20% of the, the country has received at least one vaccine. I think 10% has received both at this point. So I'm obviously waiting for the day in several, probably two or three months down the road, uh, give or take, where we've hit that the easiest chunk of people that will that will get vaccinated, which is to say they don't have any reticence mm-hmm. uh, or fear for getting it. And then, you know, you'll probably see these numbers kind of plateau. Uh, I'm hoping at a higher percentage than than what what people are estimating right now. But so I'm hoping 70, 80 percent of the country has no problem getting a vaccine and that ultimately some of this reticence will kind of fall by the wayside. But I'm waiting for the I'm, I'm fearful of that moment where we hit a point where we hit this plateau at 60 percent. And and all of a sudden these campaigns to get people to vaccinate and sort of the recalcitrance that we see amongst people to to not get vaccinated really becomes entrenched and that's that's sort of that's i feel like my big i'm waiting i think for employers that to employers will employers will fill that bit so like their yeah. employers can say you have to get vaccinated in order to come to work or to work in this space and it will become a matter of corporations saying you can't work without the vaccine, go get the vaccine. And then then I think we'll get to the 70% threshold. If it gets to that point, because there'll be no other way. There's ways of twisting people's arms. And and I, 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 I'm, I'm obviously optimistic it will happen eventually. I, I, I'm not saying this is the doom of all or anything like that, but I definitely, I, you know, I'm kind of interested to see if I have friends who don't believe in vaccines. My, obviously my inclination is that that's not the case, but I don't mm-hmm. know. I want to, I want to stress in the podcast that like anti-vaccination sentiment is generally widespread amongst both wings left and right. Yeah. Um, It's been a little bit more so with the right in this particular, with this particular disease, but historically anti-vaxxing is a, is a left wing thing. Um, So I just want to point that out that it's not really a particular group. There's also, I mean, just to people of color. Yeah. There's a historical precedent that, that the things that we, we did during, especially the Tuskegee Airmen experiment, syphilis, syphilis. I mean, there's so many, so many things that the U S government did to people of color, specifically black Americans um, that they rightfully so are skeptical of government mandated vaccines. And I get it, which is why there's such a huge campaign of, you know, uh, POC elected officials out there saying, and and celebrities, et cetera, saying, get the vaccine, get the vaccine. But we have to be sensitive to that too. There are communities out there that have been really hurt by sort of a healthcare misuse, if you will. And and, I get it. I get that. Yeah. It's a a big thing. I'm, I've also heard people talking about how like, uh there's vaccine there's like you know these places you can go that's not necessarily a shortcut but like they 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 don't they get missed appointments at like cvs's throughout the valley or something yeah you know i've researched a bunch of this stuff and when it comes down to it i've thought about waiting on these lines but then i just think even if i did that i would just feel really bad if i I would never ever ever yeah i don't know if you should because like i don't think you should because to me in my head, like if you actively go out of your way to try to cheat the system to get the vaccine, feel bad. Like yeah, feel bad. I would because never do you that. don't need to necessarily do that. And I, I also don't want to necessarily pass judgment on certain people's circumstances. Some people's circumstances are very specific and different. And sometimes I'm like, if you have to cheat the system to get what you need in order to work or protect your family or do whatever, do it. Steal the bread from the store to feed your kids. Like that's sort of my mentality in some cases. The porn star does not qualify in that instance. <laughs> um, but if you're in a situation where 
the vaccine, especially the two that are out there right now, Moderna and Pfizer, if 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 there are leftovers and if oh, there are yeah. missed appointments, yeah. take yeah. it. Just take yeah. it. Just especially take it they, because they, they go bad. Like, yeah, they go yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah. I just would never don't feel bad about that. Yeah, I just would never want to jump the line in front of an older person or whatever, you know. The biggest thing is people, healthy people, which I saw a tweet this week, which I thought was so right. If, you know, healthy people being like, well, like trying to be martyrs almost being like, well, I want to make sure that everyone who really needs it gets it. So I'm going to wait. And it's like, no, AOC, like, like, oh, sorry. And I'm saying, no, do not wait. The moment your eligibility comes up, schedule your appointment, even if you're healthy, schedule your appointment and get the fucking vaccine. Don't be a martyr. Oh, I think, sorry, it wasn't AOC. I think it was Representative Ilan Omar from Minnesota when like Congress was offered the vaccine. She's like, "Um, I don't think we deserve it. And it's like, uh, yes, you're elected officials. You fucking deserve it. Like, what are you talking about? I need you to vote on a $15 an hour wage increase. Please be healthy. Yeah. I was really mad. I saw, I mean, this is separate, but I saw Kristen Cinema voted down the- Oh God, that, and the way she did it, it just, I mean, she was already on sort of my go fuck you list, but it was the way, the arrogance, the actual arrogance arrogant, of walking yeah. in there with that Lululemon bag and just like, hand, like thumbs down. Thumbs, thumbs down to a wage that most sort of first world, if you will, I hate saying that, but first world countries have- a livable wage, minimum wage, and we are stuck at seven dollars and twenty-five cents. It's insane. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I I, I went to an out, I went to an outdoor bar this week though. So last yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I, I I feel the same, and I was I went to an outdoor bar and the oh, exhaust- bitch, what'd you order, bitch? <laughs> what'd you get? Beer. Beer. Oh, beer. You don't like you don't like beer. I know I made a mistake. It was a brewery. I, I went to I, there's a Hilton downtown that has like a rooftop that I assumed was like kind of nice. So I was like, I'll just, I'll just get one glass of wine for some reason. I'm like, I'm gonna get one, <laughs> and and I went. I love and it wine. was like I, it was like the least comfortable like lawn chairs I've ever been in my life. Yeah. It actually was a killer view of of the skyline, but uh, <laughs> and then the, this happened. So it's literally, I realized, I'm like, this is the first time I've gone to an outdoor bar wow. in like a year, I yeah. think. Mm. Um, so, but I paid with my credit card and I've never seen this before. He wrote down my credit card number and I was like, uh, no, 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 excuse me. And then I kind of like made a stink about it. And then like one of the managers is like, we have to like write it down. So we process your credit card. What? Downstairs. Wrote it yeah. down? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, they're, yeah, that makes sense. So I think Wait, like I don't get it. Why did he write down they your can't, credit they, card? They can't, there's no like internet access where they yeah. are. So they have to go into where the server is to be able to process the card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. anyway, I just literally like made this like, like something of a scene being like, you can't just write someone everything on my about my credit card down on a slip of paper. Yeah. And then the man that like, seems oh, no, weird. we're doing that with everyone. It's <laughs> like, all right, fine. But <laughs> it's definitely a little bizarre. Well, I didn't go to an outside bar, but I am interviewing Bethany Frankel this week. So I went out <gasps> and I purchased Skinny Girl oh, Margarita. Wow. And oh, my I can, God. I can report I've never had a Skinny Girl Margarita. I'm upset that Skinny Girl products aren't available at Target necessarily. But I'm I surprised went, to hear that. I know. I went to BevMo and I bought a Skinny Girl Margarita and Skinny Girl Vodka. And I can report tasty. They're delicious. They're delicious. delicious. You know what the bummer about Bevmo is? Bevmo is sort of like the a warehouse liquor, uh, yeah, yeah, liquor dealer in Los Angeles. It's they're everywhere. not that cheap. They're I not mean, that cheap. 
Yeah, no, they're not that cheap. Well, I mean, well, I will say my skinny girl margarita was ten ninety nine, which I mean, for a, a shake and go Rouse. margarita, it's you know, skinny girl's not available at Ralph's, Brandon. I need skinny girl <laughs> margarita. <laughs> What would your aunt say? Brent, what would your Aunt Ramona say about something she heard on today's show? I would have COVID fatigue if I thought it was real. <laughs> uh, uh, my Aunt Joanne would say, ask Alan to ask Bethany if she got bat mitzvahed. <laughs> how about, because she's half and half. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. half and half. Mm-hmm. Um, how about Aunt Anne? My Aunt Anne would say, I just hope they never come for my Oreos because I love just closing my eyes, separating them slowly, and then mm. licking up that creamy Santa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, thanks for It's listening. sexual with her. I imagine her sitting there literally having an orgasm, just licking up that creamy Santa. It does surprise oh me God. that Vanilla Wafers has not introduced a cookie with, with a cream in the middle or somewhere in it. No. They, are, they are a bit dry. They're delicious, but they're still a bit dry. I think, how her. did Vanilla Wafers become the topic of this episode today? <laughs> well, I love it. But frankly, I love it should it. be the topic of most of our episodes, <laughs> if you ask me. Also, I love golden Oreos. No, no, that's taking too. it too far. I mean, did you try the Lady Gaga Oreos, the Chromatica no, ones? Come on. Well, no, they're essentially the golden Oreos. They're basically the same thing. Yeah, oh. I don't I don't need to, yeah. I don't need to feed Yeah, but no, I don't I don't go that. It's chocolate or nothing. Bye. <laughs> mm. Are you are you are not a single stuff though? Are you double stuff or mega stuff? Oh no, we do mega in Thank this God. house. Thank you. And then we still take the making fork, single you take stuff. the fork, you put the fork in the you put the fork in the cream, you dip it in the milk, and you use the fork. Hands don't get messy. You can type in everything. Mm, sounds great. I'm Elliot Glazer. <laughs> I am I am Brent Sullivan. I am H. Oreo Scott. Oh, no, you aren't. Fuck you. Fuck you.